Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Merciful. What does that mean to be merciful? How is the saved sinner to be merciful to the lost sinner? And the answer to that question, it lies in the meaning of the word mercy. And mercy is best understood, strange as this may seem. Not by the Hebrew word, not by the Greek word, but actually mercy is best understood by the Latin word, which has nothing to do with the Bible, but anyway. Well, I mean, you know, the Catholic Church wouldn't agree, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's really best understood by the Latin word, because the word mercy in Latin, and, and I don't speak Latin, but anyway, it says misericordis. That's the word mercy in Latin, misericordis. And that's interesting because the Latin word for mercy, misericordis, is actually made up of two words. It's made up of the word misera and cordis. And misera, as you would guess, means misery. It means pain. And cordis means heart, like cardiac. So misericordis means to feel the pain or misery of another person in the heart, as opposed to just the mind. Kind of reminds me of, of, uh, of my friends, uh, Deanna and her husband, Reuben. And one time, taking the drive back road to Takati, going down 94, uh, the U.S. side, 94, you get to Takati. And we're, we're driving through there, and, and this is a road that, that Reuben has driven many, many times and over many, many years, you know. And we're driving through that, and Reuben began to describe people that live on 94, way out there in the backcountry. Anyway, and he says, oh, yeah, and this person, you know, during the, he mentions a fire. During this fire, uh, his house was burned down. And he comes another one, and he says, oh, yeah, and, and this person lost their house. The, the barn was burned. And this person, he comes another, this, this person lost their whole house. And what's interesting about it is that as Reuben is describing what's happened to all these people who live along 94, he's crying. He's crying. He's, he's, he's weeping as he's driving along, and he's telling. You know, that's, that's mercy. That's misericordis. That's feeling misery and pain in the heart. So mercy for the saved person means to look at a lost person and feel in his heart the misery that that lost person feels. And it's to feel the misery of verse three of what it means to be absolutely spiritually bankrupt because of sin. It's to feel the misery in verse four of what it means to be so sad and mourning over sin. It's to feel the misery in verse five of what it means to feel the crushed in a state of meekness over sin, and it's to feel the misery in verse six of, being, of starving 
for righteousness because sin has stripped him out of any possibility of righteousness. And so being merciful is to feel this pain in the heart. And for the saved person to be merciful to the lost means to do something about it in verse seven, which is to bring the gospel, bring the second part of those verses three through six to the sinner. I mean, merciful means for the saved to bring the good news of the gospel to the lost where God can bring him heaven and God can comfort him and God can give him the earth to inherit and God can fill him with God's righteousness. This is what it means for a saved person to be merciful to a lost person. It's to bring the good news of the gospel to that lost person. And this is actually the first fruit of a saved person who is coming off of himself personally, uh, verses three through six. His first fruit is to be merciful, is to be merciful to bring the gospel to the lost. That's why verse seven comes after three through six. You might wanna write that down, the seven comes after (laughs) six. Anyway, so, and it's done in such a way when the gospel is brought to the lost it's done in such a way that the person really is not front and center with all this. It's the gospel that's front and center. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's not the person. Kind of reminds me a little bit about the silkworm. The silkworm's very interesting. You know, the silkworm makes beautiful silk. You know, that's the way it's called, the silkworm. But what's interesting about the silkworm is that when you see the silk that he's making there, the worm, what you see is the beautiful silk. And you don't see the worm because the worm hides itself behind the silk that he's making. So you don't, see the, you don't see the silkworm, you just see the silk. And that's the way that we should bring the gospel, that where we hold out the beauty of the gospel so much, and God so much, that people don't see us, they just see the gospel, they just see God, just like the silkworm who hides herself behind the silk that she's making. That's what humility looks like, and that's what not being proud looks like. And so, There was this time in the life of Moses when Moses just felt this yearning inside and he just wanted to know more about who God was. And Moses said to God that, you know, he wasn't just satisfied with the knowledge that he had of God and he wanted to know more about who God was. And so he he said to God in Exodus 33, 13, Exodus 33, 13, he says, now therefore I pray thee if I found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. He really wanted to know God deeper. And so God told Moses, okay, I'll show you more of who I am. And so he he put it this way to Moses. He said, this way it's gonna work. He said in Exodus 33, 17, Exodus 33, 17. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He said, God said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so the great day happened that Moses was asking for, and Moses was put in an opening in a rock, and God passed by him. And as he did, Moses only saw his backside, but God proclaimed to Moses who he was in Exodus 33.20, Exodus 33.20. He said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass when my, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff, an opening, in the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. 
and I'll take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So they come about, next chapter, Exodus 34, 6, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, and it will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children of the third and fourth generation. So, so God is proclaiming who he is to Moses, and the first quality that God proclaims about himself in, verse, in Exodus 34, 6, 34, 6, it says, the Lord God, merciful. This is the key description of who God is. God is merciful. And since the greatest mercy is to save sinners by the gospel, this is what God loves to do the most. This is the ultimate mercy of God, to save sinners from their sins. And that's why it says about God in 1 Timothy 2.4, 1 Timothy 2.4, that he will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In mercy, God wants every single person on earth to be saved. And this is why it says about God in 2 Peter 3.9, 2 Peter 3.9, that the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In mercy, God does not intend or want or desire for any person to perish, not one. And that has an implication for us. That has an implication for us. That, that has an implication for us when we go to the grocery store and we look at the checker. And that has an implication where we, we say to ourselves, taking these two verses, we say to ourselves, God is merciful to that person, that checker, because God intends for that checker to be saved. And God is not willing that that checker should perish in hell because of sins. And this is who the merciful God is, a gospel-giving God to save the lost. So to be like God is to put a priority for that person to be saved because God's merciful and to give the gospel to that person because that's who God is. It reminds me of uh, being like God. It reminds me of uh, uh, what happened to a boy a boy who was in Grand Central Station in New York. And the boy was selling apples. And he had a basket full of apples. And he was kind of thinking to himself, well, where do I have the best chance of selling my apples? And he said, oh, well, you know, he's thinking to himself, yeah, where all the people are. So he sees this uh, train approaching, and he knows the people are going to pour out of that during rush hour. And so he gets right in the middle of the way where the people are going to come. He kind of thinks he's got the best chance to sell apples. Well, the train arrives, and all the people come rushing out, and as the people are coming pouring out, the boy is knocked over, and his apples go flying, right? So he gets up, his apples are everywhere, he starts to cry. And a man stops and gathers up all his apples for him and puts them in the basket. And the boy looked up at the man, and he said, Sir, are you Jesus? <laughs> when we show mercy by giving the gospel to the lost, we're like Jesus, we're like the Lord Jesus. Because the supreme tragedy that can happen to a person is for that person to be cast into hell. That's the supreme tragedy. And, and that means that the supreme mercy that can be given to a person is to give them the gospel. Now, there's a promise here to the new believer, and anybody, but especially the new believer, who is showing the supreme mercy of giving the gospel, of being merciful in verse seven, and that promise says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So here's a promise that God is monitoring 
how much mercy is being shown. He is determining how much mercy he's going to give. That's what it says, and King David put it this way in, in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty six. 2 Samuel twenty 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 two twenty six. King David said, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And King Solomon, King Solomon says, look, it's good for you to be merciful when he said in Proverbs eleven seventeen, Proverbs eleven seventeen, the merciful man doeth good to his own soul. Why? Because it's the reward of mercy for showing mercy. So there was this time in the, with the Lord and his disciples when he had told them, don't pray the way you've been taught to pray, which is to use what he called vain repetitions. And I understand what this is because you know, for me growing up, it was unthinkable to pray a prayer without starting off with Baruch Atar and Eloheinu Melech Olam, which is basically blessed art thou, O Lord, our, our Lord, King of the universe. And that's how Jewish people are taught to pray. You're taught that this reputation is, is essential. Like, you know, you have to say that. And so here the Lord told his disciples, don't do that. Don't pray using the same repetitious words. So one of the, the disciples, you know, one of the Einstein disciples, he, he, he says, well, then I don't know how to pray. If you tell me that, I don't know how to pray. So he asked the Lord, he said, well, then if I can't do that, then teach me how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And so the Lord's response to that is in Matthew 6, 9, Matthew 6, 9, where the Lord then responding says, well, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. You all heard that before, right? Okay, so when you look at that, prayer, there's really several points which are covered in, that, in the Lord's Prayer, such as the point of the holiness of God, and the point of the coming kingdom of God, and the point of the will of God, and the point of the provision of God, and the point of forgiveness, and the point of temptation, and the point of the power and glory of God. There's a lot of points that were covered in the Lord's Prayer. So after that teaching on prayer, it's interesting how the Lord just pulls out one point, just singles out one point that he's gonna make a comment on, which is the next verse in, in Matthew 6, 14. Matthew 6, 14, he just has taught them, and he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So of all the points, he centers on forgiveness. He singles that, that point alone, because that was the sore point that was the greatest need for the disciples, forgiveness. And then he says, and let me tell you why this is so important. He says, because he said in, in Matthew 6, 14, Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your father will forgive you. And who doesn't want to be forgiven by God? And to leave no doubt about it, he goes on in the next verse and says, if you don't, your father will not forgive you. So the picture that the Lord is painting here was like God has a, like a, he's got his handle, he's got his hand on the valve and he's ready to pour out forgiveness to us. He wants to pour out forgiveness to us, but he's waiting. He's waiting to see if we're gonna forgive. This is why, another place he put it this way in Mark eleven twenty five. Mark eleven twenty five. when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. 
He said that. Your Father which is in heaven may forgive your, your trespasses, for if you give if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So he uses this word may, and it reveals that God wants to forgive, but he's watching us to see if we forgive. It's like God's forgiveness is dependent on our forgiveness of others. It's just the point when he makes this parable to Peter. I mean, he makes the parable. Um, well, Peter, first of all, comes to him in Matthew 18, 21. Matthew 18, 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother of sin against me, and I forgive him. Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee till seven times, until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which took account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife, his children, all that he had, payment. The servant therefore fell down, worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, I'll, I'll pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, loosed him, forgave the debt. But the saved servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. His fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, have patience with me, I'll pay thee all. And he would not, went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they, very sorry, came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord after they called him, said, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Should not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant as I had pity on thee? His Lord was wroth, delivered him to the tormentors. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So here comes Peter. He's thinking to himself that if a person uh, doesn't really repent, because he keeps repeating the same offense, and reform, then, then he doesn't have to forgive him anymore. So Peter is thinking that, okay, he, he needs to forgive him, uh, uh, but, but if he keeps repeating. So Peter asks the Lord, what's the limit? What's the limit? How many times? And Peter, you know, he's thinking to himself, seven. That's, that's got to be it. You know, that's the number of the days of the week. It's complete. Surely seven's going to be it. He asks this question. And, you, and as he asks the question, you can see Peter. He's already got his tally sheet there. He's got seven rows on it, you know. You check them off as it goes down. And so he's thinking, you know, so, yeah. So what does the Lord respond? So the Lord says, no, seven times seven, and it's got to be 40, you know, it's got to be much longer, seven times larger. No, he says 70 times seven, it says 490. <laughs> Your piece of paper is way too, too small. See, this is the backdrop for the Lord to then to tell this parable about the king because a talent of gold uh, weighed 72 pounds. That's 72 pounds of gold. So a talent of gold, 72 pounds, worth today about one... million. So here this person owes 10,000 talents. That's $30 billion. So here's this person who owes the king $30 billion. There's no way that he could pay this $30 billion. So the the king just forgives the servant the debt for the $30 billion. Then the servant goes out. He finds a person who owes him 10,000 pence. Well, in today's money, a pence is about a dollar. So the person owes him $10,000. You know, of course, it's a lot of money. And he thinks to himself, I'm not going to let him get away with that. I'm going to get my money back. He owes it to me. Now, it sounds ridiculous, right? I mean, here was a person who owed $30 billion, and he asked for his debt to be forgiven, and it was forgiven. And now somebody, he finds somebody who owes him $10,000, and the debtor asks him to forgive him, and he refuses. And we just picture that person saying, $10,000 is a lot of money. It's my money. I'm going to get my $10,000 back. 
But if we went up to him and we said, yeah, but your debt of $30 billion was forgiven when you asked, why can't you forgive the guy of the $10,000 he's asking to be released from? And a person would say, $30 billion doesn't matter. <laughs> say, it has nothing to do with the fact that this cheat owes me $10,000. And look at him, he already spent it. He doesn't have it. He can't pay it back because he doesn't have it. He spent my money. He doesn't have any money to give it back, and, and I intend to get it out of him. And I'm gonna put him into forced labor till I get my $10,000. So this is the picture that the Lord paints for us to understand what it's like when we refuse to forgive, we hold a grudge, and we think vengeful thoughts about how we're gonna get even with the person who hurt us. And this parable of the $30 billion forgiven and the $10,000 not forgiven is the Lord's remedy for us to forgive. Don't be bitter at the person who's wronged us. And the Lord also foresaw a problem here where there would be kind of like a surface forgiveness. You know, like it's like, yeah, okay, I forgive him. All right, whatever. But really inside, he's saying, well, I forgive him, but I won't forget you know, and the Lord foresaw that a person might say, yeah, I forgive, but yeah, I forgive you, but fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, no, shame on you. Fool me, fool me twice, shame on me. See, all these kind of things. And that's why the Lord added these three very important words in Matthew eleven thirty-five. 35, Matthew eleven thirty-five. 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother. See, that's that from your hearts means forget it. From your hearts means burn the record of it. From your hearts means love your enemies. And this is the, behind, this is the point behind what the Lord is saying in, in our verse, Matthew 7, 7. Matthew 7, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Because it's the mercy to forgive which makes us just like God who forgave us. And it's right along the lines of what the Lord said in Luke 6, 36. 636. Be therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. In other words, be so merciful that a little boy might ask you, are you Jesus? So the first motivation to be merciful is to forgive like God. And the second motivation to be merciful is in what the Lord was said next in verse seven, but also in Luke 6.37. Luke 6.37, Luke. He says, judge not that you, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, shall it be measured to you again. So here's the principle, that when we use a measuring cup, so to speak, to dispense out mercy, God's looking at the cup, and God has like a sharpie in his hand, and he marks out the level on the cup that we use for dispensing our mercy, our forgiveness. And then he takes the same cup with this Sharpie mark on it, and he fills up his mercy, his forgiveness, to give to us. That's what it means in Luke 6.38, Luke 6.38, when he says, with the same measure that you meet or you measure out, with all shall it be measured to you. Again, the Amplified Bible puts it this way in Luke 6.38. For with the measure you deal out, it will be measured back to you. Which is behind verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a merciful God, for being a forgiving God, 
for having a great dispense of mercy and forgiveness to us. Help us to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 